We've all heard the phrase, dying is easy, comedy is hard. Our guests today are all appearing on stage right now in plays billed as comedies, but comedies that deal with life issues from childhood illness to aging to death and the beyond, and perhaps even the meaning of life itself. Hello, I'm Howard Sherman, Executive Director of the American Theatre Wing. After that portentous introduction, I'm very pleased to welcome a quintet of stars who have lit up stages and movie and TV screens over the course of collective professional experience totaling more than 150 years, during which they've won every possible accolade for acting. With us today are Jane Alexander, Bill Irwin, Angela Lansbury, Cynthia Nixon, and Jeffrey Rush. It's an honor to sit with all of you today. What you do as actors is work. I want to start the program by simply asking you, at some point, or what point, does it stop being work and start being fun, or the other way around? My attitude towards work is that it is the only thing that I know how to do, I mm. think. Mm. In other words, there are very few things in life that I would be any good at. The one thing that I understand within myself is that I have an ability to characterize. I'm a character actress. And uh, when I sort of hit the audience in such a way that they respond in the way that I had hoped that they would, that is glorious and that is the fun of the game. There are times when you can work <coughs> your fanny off and you think you're being quite good, but they don't agree. <laughs> and in consequence, you find yourself saying, what the devil am I doing this for, you know? And uh, I think I'll go home. I've always said, what am I doing here? I want to go home. But the point is that I am there because it is the thing that I know how to do, I think. So I continue again at my advanced age still getting out there and doing what I think I do best that and probably housekeeping those two <laughs> things. <laughs> I'm always hoping to get to the point where work is fun and uh, when you're in previews this becomes barely imaginable but being on stage with another actor where you feel like something is happening that didn't happen before when we tried this that may never happen again, but it's happening right now and, and we're able to share it, uh, that is a great joy. And that's, that's also the job at hand, that's the work. I mean, I, I, I think most actors that you would ask would say it, it is incredible that we get to go and play and be paid for it. I think none of us can quite still get over it. And I think <laughs> it's, you know, we sometimes we get paid a little and sometimes we get paid a lot, but I, I, I think most of us would do uh, what we do re regardless of a, of a paycheck. Um, I, I think it is, I, I mean, I agree with Bill, obviously. There are times in rehearsal when it's agonizing. There are times in previews when it's agonizing. And we've all had those jobs where it really does seem like work, where nothing is working, where the, the play isn't good, the director isn't good, you're not good. Um, and there are times in a long run where you show up on a Thursday or a Tuesday and it just does seem like you've got to push something up a hill. But I would say that's like 10% of the time. And 90% of the time, it is fun. <coughs> I've had a pretty lucky time because uh, when I grew up there was no professional theatre in the town that I grew up. So there was, it was never in my kind of crosshairs to become an actor. Um, and I went to university and did a lot of on-campus theatre and then a theatre company was professionally created and I went straight into that 
and had a three-year contract, so um, I felt pretty, you know, pretty hot to be able to do that. Um, and then I went off and studied, and I kind of kept in work. And all my friends at the time were countercultural friends, and they all thought I'd sold out to the state. I was working for the boss, you know. And I said, yeah, but I'm getting paid for being an actor. This is fantastic. And it was a repertory company, very diverse. So I learned the pleasures of diversity very early. Um, and I've always tried to keep going on that level. The work for me is just the paraphernalia of getting, getting to work <laughs> and uh, putting on the clothes and uh, doing publicity. That's work for me. Play is on the stage. I just have fun. Have any of you thought about a role that you've played that you'd like to go back and do again? And why? Usually, if it's something that doesn't work, it's, it's, it, it's in the context of a complete experience that's not working. Hmm. You don't think sometimes there's just a role that you're, even though... Oh, yes, there's roles that I have not been suited for, but I certainly would not want to go back <laughs> and tackle them again because I knew at the outset somehow I was not suited. Yeah. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah. But it happens with, within a production, I'm sure. We're all working at the moment. And some nights you're out there and you think, why is this just flying? Mm. Like, beautifully. And everyone comes off and goes, wow, that was a good, good house. Mm. Never, we never say we were good tonight. We never yeah. say the house was good. Yeah. And then the next day, it feels stodgy. And you think, oh, we lost that big laugh there and that yeah. didn't happen and it didn't seem to gel or whatever. But people uh, who work on the show, the stage manager or whatever, they say, look, the show is the show. It's there. It's probably dipping. Do you believe it? By 5%. Do you believe it, Jeffrey? <laughs> well, when you're an audience member, you never know whether you're in a good or a bad house. You sit there and go, wow, hairspray, isn't this fantastic? <laughs> and they might be thinking, oh, that was the worst one we've done, uh, I think, you know. It's very, it's very hard to have that sort of third eye on it. Uh, do, you, do you find, as, a, as an audience watching a play, do you react uh, vocally, uh, verbally, uh, not verbally, but vocally, certainly, do you laugh out loud? I don't, and it doesn't mean that I'm not absolutely sure. having a heck of a good time and sure. loving every minute. Well, you have to tell yourself they're, they're smiling. They're exactly. out there smiling. <laughs> but I, 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 I do, actually. I, 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 I feel I'm a very vocal and, and, and laughing audience member, and particularly in the beginning. I mean, I feel maybe a little too much sometimes, you know? I guess I want to I support those actors. But I also yeah. feel yeah. that sometimes we get... I'm always stunned when sometimes you have a house that laughs a lot, and then at the curtain call, they're respectful. And then sometimes you have a, mm. a, a, a house that's very quiet, and then they give you so much at the curtain call mm. because they were taking it in, and mm. then they really... They, they felt it more. They took it more seriously rather than wanting it to laugh. It is amazing how a thousand people, or whatever size the houses are, how they take on a distinctive, unified personality. Mm -hmm. I find that a curious and quite fascinating thing to encounter in a run, how, how much that can shift. You totally. Know? Mm -hmm. Because you do, you feel them, and you think, oh, they're probably not going to really vocally respond to this surefire bit, <laughs> you know. <laughs> And they don't because there's something else going on, you know, where you can feel them. The, the silence in the good silences is more acute. Yeah, mm -hmm. more attentive. Yeah. And I, I think audiences would be amazed if they knew how much we talked about them. Yeah. 
Yeah, and, and disparage them. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, what do you say about audiences? I mean, is it just good or I bad? I... I mean, I don't know. Do you think there's much nuance? I don't know. You say they're awfully quiet tonight. <laughs> yes. Mm. Or they're very peppy, or, or yeah. we, we see, we, they were slow at the beginning, but we seem to have got them now. I mean, we keep taking their temperature, mm, I yeah. feel like. And also, we compartmentalize them to a degree. I mean, there's, there's, there's the, the Sunday afternoon audience that we say, oh, that's the Upper East Side and the Upper West Side crowd. You know, they've had a little bit too much wine with lunch, and, you know, they're sitting back and saying, show me. But it doesn't mean that they're not being shown and that they're not enjoying it. But nevertheless, they have a way of re reacting, which is quite different from a Wednesday match. For instance, you know. I mean, this is for a comedy, and I'm sure you've discovered that, haven't you, Jeff? You can't. You can't judge them. Uh, we did a production of Hamlet in Sydney at this company that I work with a lot. And on Wednesday afternoons, it's part of the company policy. We have unwaged performances, or for people who are unemployed or whatever, mm -hmm. and they leaflet the local area, which is very housing estate. Um, and this guy came backstage after this four-hour production of Hamlet, and he was just vibrating and devastated. He was probably in his late 50s. He was living with HIV. He'd never been to a theater before in his life. And he was shattered by the play, just shattered. Mm. And I thought, you were sitting out there on a Wednesday matinee. We can never dare presume, oh, you know, this is the blue rinse set or this mm -hmm. is the, the mob coming in from mm -hmm. wherever. And that, that, you've got to hang on to something like that. Oh, yes, you do. Because it, 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 it doesn't always work out, the, you know, as I said, the way mm. I've described it. And it's good to be an audience member. I love going to the theatre. Yeah. When it fires up, you think, wow, what this, there is nothing better. Yeah. And when it's not good, you sort of go, <laughs> get another job. And <laughs> you go to the theatre as audience members, or are you always analysing? Are you always thinking, how did they do? What did they do? What did I work with them in? How much can you just go and enjoy at, at this stage? I, I'm the best audience member, I know. <laughs> I just love, I love actors, I love to watch the whole theatrical experience. Mm. And I just am super. And as soon as my run finishes, I'm going to see every single one of these plays. It's so illuminating, too, to remember, oh, this is what each person does who comes to see our plays. You stand there and right left okay and you you get it put in your seat and somebody's next to you and uh, you form that audience group mm. and oh, I can't hear well the better to keep in mind when I'm out next and mm -hmm. yeah. make sure that I can be heard and that I can be clear about what I'm delivering mm -hmm. that it's for the people out there so yes I love to go I'm not sure I'm as good as you but I, I love to go <laughs> and be in the audience mm -hmm. I think analyzing is part of the fun of it too yeah. You know, seeing what what works and what doesn't work, but I think also when something is truly electric, it's just all the analyzing flies out the window. You're just completely transported and mm -hmm. grabbed by the throat. Sometimes that can happen in the first minute, don't you think? Yeah. Mm -hmm. You just go, ah, mm -hmm. they know what they're doing. They've already empowered my imagination <laughs> sitting here watching it, and then it's going to fly. Well, you know, what I want to hear from everybody on is those moments of illumination when you're working. Because here was one, when we were working on Virginia Woolf, it was one of these press things that happened at the worst times, like the third week of rehearsal. And the last thing you want to do is sit in a panel with the playwright and, and answer questions. But uh, Edward, God bless him, he stepped right up and he said, well, the movie was quite good, but it would have been better if it had had my casting. And I wanted 
Bette Davis as Martha and uh, James Mason as George. And I suddenly thought, James Mason is George. I get it. I suddenly yeah. get something now yeah, yeah, from yeah, the playwright. Well. <laughs> I, I get what the picture he had as yeah. he was writing Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Bold of him to say that. Wasn't it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wasn't it? Not to, be, not to go through each of your shows, but how do you, how do you decide on what shows you will and won't do? You're, you're all at a stature in your career that presumably you're approached about a lot of different things. What are the factors that make you decide, yes, I'm going to do this, versus I, I think I'm not going to do that? The kids' holidays. It's true. People think, oh, they must be a sort of privileged position mm. of choice. And most of the time it's, well, that'll be great because if I'm going overseas, they can come over in May or, yes. no, it's good for me to be home now right. because they've got their rowing final, you know. Right, I mean, right. Those factors are very significant. I, I just keep along on my own course, and as things come along or are proffered or suggested to me, it very much depends on if it's a role that I think to myself, hmm, I'd like to have a crack at that. For instance, in the case of uh, Madame Arcati in uh, Blythe Spirit, well, this is a role I never played uh, at, at any time. I did not see, strangely enough, any of the great performances, except I think I saw a little bit of Margaret uh, uh, Rutherford, possibly in the movie, although I don't remember it, thank God. <laughs> I've tried to always make it a, a, a rule never to see the person who did it before me, mm -hmm. oddly enough. Mm -hmm. I've only, I only go by the reputation of the role and what, what, it, uh, what it sort of represented to an audience and how, it, how successful it was and how interesting a part it was. So. Um, Actually, as I said, it's, it's just what, what, what is proffered, and, and does, it, does it sort of light a, a, a candle in my mind, and do I think, God, yes, I'd love to have a go at that. You know? And that's the thing that really drives me. And uh, as I said, the, the pickings aren't huge now, but they're always interesting. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And uh, so that's how I ended up playing Arcati. Uh, Great. Mm -hmm. And I'd like to bring up something, if I may. Uh, we were talking uh, earlier, before we started the program, about um, stage direction. Mm. Uh, you, you were uh, starting to talk about Ionesco's uh, particular uh, little phrase he used, which indicated something to you. Mm. Uh, part of my role, for instance, in, in uh, Blythe Spirit requires that um, I'm going to go into a trance. And mm. one of the stage directions was she begins a rather aborted dance. Now, those, those two words clued me in. They were the only things that clued me in because uh, our director, Michael Blakemore, did not say to me, Angie, I think this is the moment when you could, you know, do something here. I just took it and thought, oh, yes. Well, what would be her form of an aborted dance? Mm -hmm. So I devised something, and it's different every single performance. It's not choreographed or anything. It's mm -hmm. absolute madness. Mm -hmm. But that's all right. It suits me down to the ground mm -hmm. because that's how I felt she would go about it. It's an evocative stage direction. Uh, it, well, it is. It was exactly. It, <laughs> and of course, anybody who is willing to show off, uh, it will get up and do something <laughs> outlandish. <laughs> so, mm. And so in, in my case, I mm. just give me a chance. <laughs> <laughs>
which is naughty in some respects, but in her case, it happened to work very well. And I assume, and from having seen some of the stills, only stills, from from your play, I would have said you possibly ended up doing a great many of the same. Yeah. Well, Ionesco says at one point that you know the king says that he can hear. He's trying to prove that he's still got all these senses, and he says, "I can hear. I can hear a marching band." Yeah. And the stage direction in italics, which are fairly minimalist all through the play, says the king marches. <laughs> and I said, "Well, he's obviously trying to prove to the former wife and the doctor, yes. I've still got still it." Got it. <laughs> but the image I had in my mind was the old Anzacs, who sadly now all died out from the First World War. You'd see those guys get up there on April the 25th and yeah. march down the street where they yeah. still could, and it was terribly frail and kind of endearing, but like you know, just a fragility to it. Yes. So you get another image and you think, oh, I'll go with something like that. And well, then of exactly. course it, it ended up with a lot of pratfalls because it just mm. seemed the mm. right thing to do that he should fall over a lot. Of course. <laughs> Yeah, it's one, of the great, it's one of the great physical comedy sequences now in my theater memory, and so it came from that stage direction. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, well, he, said, he, he doesn't give you that much. I mean, I always go back to the old Commedia thing of they don't have that many good scripts. You, say, you read Harlequin enters, um, he eats. <laughs> right. That could have been ten minutes of... Shtick, <laughs> you know, like a, a, to a point of being acrobatic. <laughs> you raise a great point, which is so often, and I think for students this would be interesting, so often you get a script, if it's a show that's been produced previously, and there are some stage directions written in, you don't know if they're the author's stage directions sometimes. I don't so know how tied are, are you to, to those notes? There used to be those editions called French's acting editions, mm -hmm. and I don't know whether they were what the author wrote, but they'd have on every line, fearfully, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> happily, <laughs> slyly, well, you know, and they'd tell you how you have They to were do the it. stage managers, uh, yeah. uh, yes, but right. directions most of the time, yeah. I'd say so, right. yeah. I, I think you bring up a good point, Howard, because um, right now I'm in Tina House Chasing Manet, which is a new play, and Cynthia's in a new play, too. Uh, and she wrote extensive stage directions, but during the rehearsal process, we have changed, mm. I would say, 50% of them. Mm. And she was there the whole time, so it was with her blessing. But it's be of interest to me what will come out in the final um, yes. edition of the play. Mm -hmm. Whether they'll be her original ones, whether she will have incorporated the changes, I don't know. Oh. I look for every clue you can get. I mean, people used to say, oh, to cross out all stage directions. Yeah. Yeah. And you go, well, actually, oh, no. No. Th this might be useful. It's like, don't change the punctuation. You mm -hmm. know, sometimes yeah. punctuation can really tell you whether a thought's continuing yeah. or yeah. whether it's hit a full stop and a new thought or it's flipped in some way. Because yeah. you know, remember Shaw used to write five pages of <laughs> yeah. a novel, right. mm -hmm. but right. you'd read it and go, that's actually really interesting. Mm, very interesting. He'd like Freddie Einstein Hill to end up with her living above a shop. Yeah. <laughs> and you go, I'm going to try and get that into the last act <laughs> if I can. You know. Phil, did you find that Albie uh, gave a lot of stage directions? He was at some amazing fiery point in his writing so that the ones who are there uh -oh. are so... Uh, trenchant. He, the one I'm thinking of is, in parentheses, helpfully. <laughs> yes. 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 He says this line helpfully, yeah. uh, which actually clues you in a lot to how to uh, yeah. uh, what you want from the other actor as you as you <laughs> deliver that one. Yes. 
Some some we took away and uh, yeah, yeah, sure. or some we asked Edward about and he said, Oh, don't pay any attention to that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I remember in rehearsal when we were doing I did um, counting the ways and uh, the other uh, radio play. We did it on stage actually with and uh, I remember asking him uh, what certain things meant. Yeah. And he would say Oh, whatever whatever you want it to be. <laughs> 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 yes. And yeah. uh, <clears throat> Same with All Fall Down, you know, I, I played the mm. mistress in that in London and uh, I didn't know what the hell I was talking about half the time and, uh, well, I did, you know, in essence I certainly did, yes, but it was a, such a restrained character yeah. and, uh, and so enigmatic too. It was, it was quite a task for me to bring mm. some rhyme and reason to, the, to this woman. But uh, and he wasn't any great help. I no, I, and I, neither I, was yes. Peter Hall. <laughs> neither was Peter Hall. I, I did as afraid of Virginia Woolf also that yeah. he that he directed years of ago in did. Los Angeles. Oh, yeah, there you and, go. and exactly, yeah. you would ask him, and some yeah. of it is very. It seems very murky. And what does it mean? And he yeah. was said, I don't know. And don't you know. can <laughs> never figure out. Does he? Is he? Does mm. he? You know? Has he, is he just writing from his unconscious, or does he? Yeah. Has he actually forgotten, or is he just? You know, playing possum. You can't tell. Until yeah. mm. But it's like a chef. You know, my analogy is always in this era of, you know, people being interviewed all the time. And, you know, the media have now sadly got onto research. You know, they think they understand research. And so every opening question is what research did you do? Sometimes I don't research. I just go out there and play. Of course. Or muck around, you know. And it's like with a restaurant. You don't go into the kitchen and say, well, how did you do that? <laughs> you just go, I'll come back to this restaurant because it's really good food. Yeah. And the chef probably thinks, look, I don't know. The sauce is just something that yeah. I know the flavors, and I know not to mix this with this because it curdles or whatever. But it sort of turns out right, so I don't really analyze it that much. When you're working in new plays, how much do you talk to the author, or if the author is around on a revival, do you talk to the author or do you talk to the director? What's mm. what's the balance? Well, you're going to be wrong, whichever you do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, how about? I think you have to. I of the of the of the plays that I've done with playwrights in the room, you kind of have to judge. You have to size up that playwright and say, "Is this person going to be helpful to me, or actually detrimental?" Yeah. Hmm. You know, and you can. Which person? I, I mean, I I always feel like I'm married to my director. I I you know, except in a very few cases where I have not thought that much of them, I just completely give myself over to my director. And then sometimes I feel that that playwright is a, is a valuable resource kind of to embellish, and sometimes I feel like, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to ask you anything anymore because now you've said something and I'm not going to be able to get out of my head, whereas the director knows how to talk to me. And if you need to say something, you know, it's, it's best if we, if we go through, the, through this person so we're all on the same page. With Chasing Lene, Jane, you're working with a playwright who you went to college with and appeared in her plays when you were in college. So, well, is that I directed a her college? first play. I started <laughs> Tina on her career well, there you when go. she was a 19-year-old. And she gave girl. you credit for that on this program yeah. a few episodes yeah. ago. Thanks. Well, um, yeah, that was a sticky wicket. I, it, Tina's one of my best friends. She was the playwright. She was in the room the whole time. It's a new play. Uh, I don't want to lose a friend. So I made it clear from the very beginning that I would do everything through our director, Michael Wilson. Mm. And 
just try to not talk to Tina. It was hard, because I love her, and we talk a lot. But, you know, I just didn't want it to get, I was so afraid of not fulfilling her expectations of what she saw in the Well, that's very human, my goodness, from a friend, you know. You're, mm -hmm. you're mm -hmm. Was it to be helpful to your director that you made that decision? No, I, I, I agree with Cynthia. I, I, I listen to the director. I want to hear everything filtered through the director uh -huh. because it can get so confusing. And mm -hmm. often the playwright is so vested in their work mm -hmm. and they don't really know how to talk to actors very often in the same way. Uh -huh. Sure, so. it's everyone has their own task in the rehearsal process and it's best to let the director be the surrogate yes. audience or the psychologist or wh whatever their great strength is mm -hmm. because sometimes writers don't have that mm -hmm. you know that's right what and, about I, and i've been in i've been in plays i'm sure we all have where the playwright is not particularly maybe happy with the what the director yes. is doing mm -hmm. and then the the playwright sort of grabs an actor or some yes. of the actors oh, yes. and then do you know and then mm -hmm. when you have the the actors and the playwright allied against the director and everybody working at cross purposes I mean I just I feel like the director is king and you just you have to you have to go through him or her. There are those exceptions though. Doug Wright who wrote Quills for mm -hmm. the theater workshop here in New York and then he wrote the screenplay and he was on set every day we filmed it and, and he and I had such a fantastic rapport because and Mar he'd written the Marquis in a very extreme and flamboyant and arrogant, conceited way. And I'd, I'd always say, like, you know, I think at this moment it should be just a, a touch of Norma Desmond. <laughs> I think so. So we had a shorthand where we could That's sort good. of go, this yeah. is where you can really let rip That's good. with the arrogance and the vanity, and then maybe this one should be more, you know. Well, Jeffrey, with exit the king it's an adaptation of your own bill for many years you created your own works I'm curious for all of you how much is there a desire to put your own not your personal stories but are there stories that you would like to be able to tell are there times that you wish in a show that you're in you wish you could write the lines is that does that temptation come I'll ask you Angela I don't think I've ever felt tripped up by the fact that I was required to use a certain phrase or, you, you know, as, uh, I don't think I would think that I could improve on it. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. I, I, I really don't. But then my experience with plays is nothing like as vast as all of yours because I haven't done as many plays as you have. In other words, my experience has been very, uh, very compartmentalized. from mostly musicals to begin with, although before the musicals, straight plays, uh, London, here. But other than that, um, I've never been in a situation in which I found myself feeling that, oh God, I could improve on this. Why <laughs> am I saying this at this moment in this scene? Surely my impetus would be to take this tack, you know, and say that. But I'm, I'm always so awed by the author and the, the, the presence of the director and the other actors that I keep my mouth shut and do what I'm told, which is ridiculous, and I <laughs> fault myself for that, for not speaking up, you know. But, I mean, that's just the nature of the beast, and that's the way I am. So I, I always assume that the pilot knows how to, to drive the plane, you know, mm. and he knows better than I do. 
Mm -hmm. Sometimes happens with Shakespeare, don't they? Because some people start to prune Shakespeare, or mm -hmm. you'll strike a, an antique word, and you think mm, the audience are really not going to know that. And that's where it gets slightly tricky because I think the text is there and it's a classic, and it should not really be. You've got it's up. It's your job to find out what makes this work. The only one bit of Shakespeare I did rewrite was in King Lear. I was playing the fool, and he's got some joke about kibes, chillblains, you know. Mm -hmm. And I thought, then that's just not going to get the gag. So I devised some kind of pun. I forget the line. It's something. Why is a man's brains in his heels or something? So he doesn't get chill chill brains. <laughs> and it kind of works. You know what I mean? Yeah. But the rest, uh, the the actor who was playing. Uh, Leo. It was Warren Mitchell, he may mm. know from Alf Garnett. He was mm. going out on a limb in mm. his late career to play Leo, and he was really quite mm. good. And he, uh, as the fool, he just said, look, I said, Warren, I've got all this impenetrable antique Elizabethan language, which is never going to be funny. And he said, that you'll find the fool. Is he my psychiatrist? Is he, my, is he an imp? Is he subversive? What are you doing with the king? You know. And so we started to just play the relationship. And I got laughs on lines that, when you look at them on the page, yeah. are incomprehensible. Mm. Or they're, you know, they're footnoted in the Arden saying, right. this was hilarious in 1604 <laughs> <laughs> because Middleton had written an essay. Yeah. I, you know, the, the play that I'm doing now, Distracted, I, it's, I talk to the audience a lot, and I'm telling my story. And so I go back and forth, I jump in and out of scenes, and I feel like the, the whole evening is so much her journey. And because it's a new play and because the playwright's in the room, I do feel like at a certain point it got so into my body in rehearsal mm. that I would occasionally, I'm talking about small things, mind you, but I would feel like I need something here. And I would say it to her, and I would even maybe suggest so. a little, you know, and I just felt like it was so much about my character's emotional journey so that even, even I would ask for, and again, I'm talking small things, but I would even say there's a point I play a, a, a mother of a, of a little boy who has attention deficit disorder and she goes from specialist to specialist and it gets more and more dire and more and more farcical and out of control. And at one point, very late in the play, someone says something positive to me about my child after having heard negative, negative, negative. And I'm just, it's so important to me. It's so the last thing I was expecting to hear because I just hear more bad and more bad and more bad. And he had the, the woman saying it and then going out. And I was like going out that way. And mm. I said, I just, it's too big a moment, not just for me, but also for the play. I said, don't, can you not have her go out that way where the early, mm. easy exit is? Can you have her then cross the stage so that she and my, she's just given my husband yeah. and I this tremendous gift of, of praise for our child. Mm. And so that we can, after this angel has dropped this, <laughs> this thing yeah. into our laps, that we can actually then, you know, watch her cross the stage. And, and it, ha it can take that moment that it needs. So I feel sometimes when you're, when you're so in a character, there are, there are little things you can ask from a playwright or ask from a director that maybe you're just, maybe they would get to them in an, in an hour, but you're just a, a little bit ahead of them when you're so married to that character. I've also asked for a royalty. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a good point. I mean, I started, and I know 
built to it, it, it a lot of improvisational yeah. kind of work and mm. and so I'm used to working when new plays uh, with the playwright if the playwright trusts us and if I feel and sometimes even extraordinary mm -hmm. things happen like the other night I don't know what happened my character just there, at least three or four lines popped out in different places brand new lines right out of me and my mm. colleagues on stage are so quick. They respond <laughs> in the same way. But I didn't even know that that would happen. But I think that's the, my basis in improvisation. So I do believe that we can help the playwright a great deal. And mm. I'll always talk to the director about it as well. How about you, Bill? Well, I was just going to ask you, what happened in the notes session? <laughs> well, after your interpolations. Well, you know. this happened, the, the director's gone now, the playwright's <laughs> gone. We're in, we're in run. Wow. So, uh, it, it, no, it, it was a surprise to me. I don't know what happened. I wasn't looking for this. But something happens sometimes where the character, you're just so much there. Yeah. And she just started to say things that and I didn't Have you know consolidated and mapped that now into the blueprint no. of the performance? No, no, I no. took you it just, out. Oh, I, oh, I took it out right. immediately. It just happened once. Yeah. In yeah. our company, we just call that forgetting your lines. You've got to be on your toes for that as well, because you go, wow, something's been reversed. <laughs> you ended on a verb. <laughs> you know what that brings up, too, is this amazing relationship that people outside the theater often don't get, and that's relationship with stage management. Mm -hmm. you know, so it's some, some set of stage managers must have been quaking, <laughs> or not, depending oh, yeah. on, yeah. Uh, but that's a... That's a life-giving and life-dependent relationship that we all have that people in civilian life uh, probably don't know about. No. That when the trouble, when the rain is coming down, who do you go to? You go to the stage manager yes. To, yes. to look for mm. peace and security yes. or... or Johnny's not picking up his cue. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Notes from the stage manager <laughs> who comes in here dressing the curtain. It's much more formal yeah. here. I've noticed that because really, when we were first doing Exit the King in Sydney and Melbourne, I'd say 80% of what I've ended up with in the show came out of embellishments of s slight improv or mucking up in performance and thinking, oh, mm -hmm. that was a revelation, mm -hmm. that's quite it, I'll keep that little bit, mm -hmm. you know. So when the director finally left, he gave the stage manager here very strict instructions about which ad-libs and which <laughs> throw-in bits I wasn't allowed to do. So I sort of, in some ways I feel, oh, well, the show is now kind of in its third incarnation. It's solidified into something, um, no, distilled into something yeah. that kind of works. But I still would love the idea, like the other night my cape was upside down and it was completely white, it's huge. And I've got my scepter and I sort of went into a little skiing routine because it was just so white and he's kind of off the planet at this point. But I thought, no, no, that's not a good moment because it stomps on somebody else's beat. But you know, you, you, you need to feel the, the room to maybe able to Certainly, I mean, I'm thinking back to when you did Scapino back in... Mm. Uh, ours was called Scapan. Scapan, yeah. in yeah. the circle and the square, was it? I can't remember. Roundabout. It was in Times Square. Wasn't it? Roundabout, yes, yeah. which is a toy store now. Yeah, it's one of the <laughs> <laughs> become something else. But I remember thinking then that there was such a feeling of spontaneous kind of improv. It may have been all within an inch of its life direction. You know, that's one of the big questions. We did... Um, 
a lot of improv, and then we found sometimes, oh, we're far afield from our original intent, which was to adapt but stay true to Moliere. Yeah. So sometimes three shows into a week, you realize, oh, no, we really owe, we owe somebody <laughs> to come back here. Mm -hmm. Well, don't you think that's so much in, in, in a run, a long run especially, but in any run, trying to stay alive and yeah. inventive and keep adding to but not go so far afield that, you know. Sure. I mean, you, I mean, you to be, yeah. What do you mean by adding to? Well, I mean, uh, I don't mean dialogue. Oh, I mean oh, 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 oh. keeping it alive for yourself oh, yes. and, and, and having it more and more embroidered. But then at a certain point, it can get so embroidered that the original meaning can get lost. Absolutely, yes. You yes, know, right. is it yes. And you have to clean all that out and go back to the or basics. Add, yes. right. Like right, right now, we yes, have a new do. actor yeah. in our company who came in a week and a half ago, and there's nothing like that for making an honest person out of you. Yeah, a student exactly. matinee yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. a fresh actor who is, <laughs> who's not yelling. Their lines and you know it's like oh right yeah. human behavior I remember what yeah. that yeah. Yeah. I can do that I can do that uh, but in the long run you've got to have I mean I like mucking up and Andrea Martin who's hilarious to be with on stage we have this we talked about how you know in rehearsals how when Bugs Bunny would come on great applause and when Daffy Duck comes out you hear <laughs> you hear crickets in the audience yeah. so anytime Andrea says, am I doing something wrong? I've lost the laugh on this. I'd say, oh, maybe, maybe you're just working it too hard. Just think it through again and do, go back to what made it so interesting and fascinating in rehearsal or whatever. She'd do that and there'd be nothing. And I on stage would go, <laughs> <laughs> just to kind of keep oh. the spark going. But I got wrapped over the knuckles from another actor going, oh, yeah. you know, and I thought, no, that's <laughs> But sometimes you need to just kind of know that you're there's six of you out there and you can manage to get that in but the audience doesn't know and it's like it's like being disruptive in church or something <laughs> yes yeah. yeah there is it because it is a place of play well, what happens when the director comes in a couple of months later and the show has let us just say grown <laughs> it can grow in many directions how what is that dialogue like at that time with with a director when they've had to let the baby go and you've taken it places that you may like very much <laughs> and the audience may like very much um, how do you how do you negotiate that how indeed yeah. <laughs> I, I think you say we're doing it and you're you're down in the Bahamas <laughs> <laughs> It depends on the rapport you've Damn got right, with the yes. director, though, That's because right. you know our director yes. came in only after two weeks, and I'd al I already thought, wow, this play is so strange. It's already drifting on the tide, you know, yes. and you need somebody to kind of reconnect the, the the six people. But he came in and said, wow, the show had such a. There was something thrilling about it tonight, and I thought, well, that's a good note. Yes. You know, Absolutely. the one you told that you're thrilling yes. is better than, like, oh, could you just not do that there? And, you know, <laughs> yeah. Meticulous yeah. notes. A, a good director came to see, visit us once and said, well, it's good to add things, but you do have to take some away again. <laughs> because, as you say, you can get over Overly important. Yeah, 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 yeah. Do you think of yourselves as leading actors? Do you all want to be thought of as character actors, or do you see any distinction in what those terms mean? I think age may um, free us from <laughs> some of that. <laughs> I think it's different on film than uh -huh. in theater. Uh -huh. True. I mean, we're all leading actors, 
we take leading roles, but and I don't think any of us now take too many small roles in theater in our career. Small, you know, like we used to do. <laughs> no, that's true. But I think what you're talking about is a character actor. I think um, sort of specializes in diversity and plays a variety of extremely uh, opposite roles on, on occasion. And I think that's true of me, and I think it's true of you, Bill, and certainly. So all of us, in one way or another, except Cynthia, who I think has, has always stuck to this lovely kind of free-thinking <laughs> soul, who, who, you know, the, one, the wife, <laughs> the mother, uh, and also the sex uh, uh, character in, in, uh, in Sex in the City, certainly, which was a... Uh, but, I do, but I do think that, you know, an actor in his time plays many parts. I do think it is partly a, a, a product of age. Do you know what I mean? Mm. I think that there, you know, you go through your leading, you know, you have your, you have your smaller parts phase, you have your ancient phase, you have your leading lady phase, and then you have, you know what I mean? Like, mm. there are just um, the the parts that are available to you when you're maybe 30. Mm. They're more maybe leading, but they're maybe they're not as interesting. Mm. Do you mm. know? Mm -hmm. and I think the difference seems to for me is there are whether you call them character actors or not, there are transformational actors. And what they work on is transforming through their own imagination or their own technical abilities away from who and what they are fundamentally. They look in the script or they have intuitions or instincts. and They change themselves to be this character. And then there are other people who, who not even in a, 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 a in more discriminated way, are personality actors that they they, they embellish mm -hmm. aspects of their own imagination. Yes, uh, and some people can do that. I mean, that's probably more recognisable in film. I mean, the great Hollywood star system. You sort of went, well, Cary Grant was Cary Grant. <laughs> yeah, but absolutely. How nuanced was that? Yeah. I mean, you yeah. didn't watch Robert Mitchum. You didn't watch the one set of values, even though they carried that mm. fundamental persona with them. You know. Mm. But I, I mean, I, you know, when I was 23, I was playing old men in repertory <laughs> companies. Now I just use less makeup. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One of the days that you put shoe cleaner, white yeah. shoe cleaner yeah. in your hair. Yeah. Yeah. I, I guess, you know, it, casting agents in the old days used to say, okay, this is a leading lady, yes. this is a leading mm. man, this yes. is a character actor, character yeah. actress. So I was just more or less referring to that. Do I consider myself a character actress? You bet. Yeah. Yes. I mean, yeah. that, uh, and it's so much more fun because oh, you get to play all these great absolutely I'm playing a part right now she's 15 20 years older than I am and I'm having a ball mm. hey would you like to play small roles in the theater if the logistics could work better? no no I don't want to do it no. I, I even when I was a company member and I was a company member for a long time mm. I, I after a while I really fought against those small roles I said no yeah. I just don't want to waste my time I want to be Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Why do you ask that, Bill? Well, uh, Jane had just mentioned that uh, at this point, for wage earning and other reasons, we we don't find ourselves playing TV or film. Yes, but uh, in the theater, no, you don't do a small part. And I wondered whether we were missing out. And Jane answered. <laughs> well, <laughs> myself. How about you? You tell me. Well, well I, I, it is so. Hmm. Occasionally uh, exciting to do a film or TV thing, where especially because you come in, you earn your paycheck, oh, yeah, you and you drop go, in, and yeah. Out, yeah, and you and oftentimes that's a transformational opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I wonder whether 
you know, actors sitting in a row like this can get nostalgic about what they imagine a repertory company is like. I've never actually worked in one, but it's well, one of those things that sounds like it might be kind of great. Uh, I don't know. I've worked in one a lot. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it, it, I mean, uh, you probably have too, right? Mm -hmm. And Several I just can't times. see myself. I mean, the time of our lives is so precious right now as we yes, get older. Yes. Why would I be sitting in a dressing room waiting for my cue right. an hour hence? Yes. I can't. Though mm -hmm. yeah. so I found with film it's been very invaluable for me because I started so late. I've only had a handful of principal roles in films, but in, in, in and around that, if people like Julie Tamil said, do you want to play Trotsky, he's only got three scenes or something, yeah. I went, yeah, I want to, mm, yes, exactly. I want the pickaxe in oh, the yeah. head film moment, is different. Yeah. you know, <laughs> yes. um, and there's been lots of things where you think I, you can, you know, I got into the Ned Kelly film in Australia because I, I knew it was going to be a significant remake and that Heath was going to be a very interesting actor in that role playing the cop, you know, and I thought, I've got three weeks of work, it's not that big a deal, but it's kind of good to go into bat on something. But yeah, there are all these different reasons, but I quite like those, um, I don't know if I'd do it on stage. I did That's turn down a Hamlet to play Horatio, that was pretty foolish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's not Well, so because good. at that stage I thought, well, I'm too old for Hamlet. This was only ten years ago, but I was in my forties, and I thought, mm, that doesn't feel right to me, you know. Whereas the director's concept of Horatio was a witness to the whole play, and I think mm -hmm. it was kind of the right thing at the right time for me to do, because I, I didn't want to have a heavy text burden yeah. at that point. But in hindsight? Uh, no, it was a deeply memorable experience, Good. and uh, it was the right thing. And you know, it, it, it sort of leads you later to go, oh, because I used to play things like the, the peripheral characters in Shakespeare, Andrew Aguecheek, you've probably done that at some point, yeah. I don't know. Not yet. Autolycus, do you know, the clown. I was sort of working my way through the clown repertoire. <laughs> and I would never be the king, because I thought, well, I'm not the king. Mm. I can't really do Richard II. I don't do verse. I'm a prose, mm. low comic, mm. is how I kind of read myself. Mm. So then, eventually, something comes along like Exit the King, and I get to be the king, but a little more on my own turf. Yeah. Or something, you know I what I mean? You. you find a different center to the play. In my experience, when you have a performer of stature, as you all are, within a theatrical company, that actor often sets the tone for the rest of the company. And the experience of what goes on in the company follows their behavior. Do you feel a responsibility to set a tone for the company as, as recognizable, well-known performers? No, I truly don't. I always think of myself as a member of a group who are going to do their best to bring something off the ground. Um, I know that sometimes a certain amount is expected of me only because of my age <laughs> and because I've been there and I've done it and I've been fairly successful along the way and therefore to my amazement People are looking to me to set the tone, to to say what I feel, and and so on. And I'm not always expect. I'm not always ready to. I want to <laughs> say stay in my own little place and listen and watch everybody else. And I, I'm shocked when it is expected of me, hmm. but it is. And uh, so I do my best to uh, you know take that position, but. I don't feel it at all, not at all. I'm just scratching the surface of what I'm doing, just like everybody else is at a first rehearsal. Yeah. And 
you know, I'm as unsure of myself uh, as they are, and I have the same sense of doubt and concern about whether we can bring it off. You know? I'm certainly cognizant that about temperament backstage. That if I have, if I'm too aggressive or too have a little temper tantrum or something, I don't anymore <laughs> because I know that people will look to me mm. and get a little upset or whatever. So I try, I'm just cognizant of that. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel embarrassed saying this after Angela said that, but I totally feel that. I totally feel that. Um, that people do look to you and they take your, their cue from you and you can make backstage, you have a lot of power to make backstage pleasant and relaxed or to make it tense. And I also, because I was a child actor, I'm very aware, particularly if there are really young people in the company, yeah. you know? I mean, people were by and large very, very good to me when I was a kid, but I think I, 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 I am, I am particularly, I think, respectful of the young people because I think when, when there are kids or teenagers, people, they give you notes endlessly, do you know what I mean? And I feel very, very protective of, of, of those kids. So I, I, I do feel like people really do look to you and you have, you have a lot of power with very small things to, to, to change the mood yes. backstage. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's absolutely true. <coughs> yes. no, I course, see that. Yeah, yes. and then you always have the job too to, um, to be an actor and reevaluate um, no matter how high a plane you may feel you've come into this project when you get there. Uh, I'm a, I have the great thrill and honor of being on stage with, with Nathan Lane in this Waiting for Gatto uh, production. And in the early going, we would do things, and anything Nathan did would make the director laugh. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would watch me. <laughs> uh, with thoughts for me and correctives, and I realize, oh, this isn't as much fun as I imagined, and yes. we're not coming in at the finished level that I thought we would on the first reading, and I have a lot of work to do. So that's uh, my job, always, but especially on this project, to, to step up to the job uh, and look to uh, what do I need to do to get as good as possible here. But I also just want to say, that I think Angela's a little disingenuous. Like, I, I mean, I, I was on Murder, She Wrote, and it was very clear that how lovely everybody was, that that was coming from Angela, to, you know, that she set a tone, mm -hmm. and it was very, you know, so I think she is, I think she is very aware. It's always better when the working atmosphere is harmonious. Oh, yes. God, yes. And discursive. Always and, and better. engaged. Do you know what I mean? It is, there's a myth that, Madness yeah, and yeah, chaos. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> Not very yeah. often. Yeah. Yeah. Although I'm sure we've all worked with those people who are brilliant and yeah. impossible, but yeah. you just put up with it. Yeah. 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 They seem to want to throw marbles all over the floor oh. so that everybody yeah. else is oh. like off balance. In the old days, people did that a lot more than they do today. Be temperamental. It, it, yeah, Why? absolutely. Why yeah. Then? I, I, no, I no, mean, no. when I think of uh, the early, early, <laughs> I did a musical, and anyone can whistle, uh, which was Stephen Sondheim's first uh, musical that he wrote the lyrics and the music, and it was directed by Arthur Lawrence, who wrote the the, the, the libretto. 
Mm. And uh, I mean, the carry on that we went through <laughs> 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 in rehearsal, <laughs> you know, the angst wow. and the carry wow. it was really quite something. And arguments and backstage chat and rumor, and you know, it was incredible. And of course, the thing suffered from it terribly, even though it turned out to be a sort of a golden failure. Nevertheless, it was the beginning for Stephen of his great mm. career. So, not the beginning, because mm. he'd al already done West Side, actually, before that. But nevertheless, that was, a, that was the one time when I was, uh, I was certainly surrounded with Sherman Drang, and it was the only time, actually. From then on, I, I decided, no, no, you, can't, you don't know how to do this. You're not smart enough. You, you get out and do your job. And, and then I did Mame, thank God, and everything was sweetness and light and no arguments and no nothing and good strong director Gene Sachs you know mm. and and a wonderful mm. co-star Beatrice Arthur everybody knew mm. what they were about to do except me who <laughs> I had learned how to be Ina Clare and so I, I was Ina Clare <laughs> because I decided I was going to be Ina Clare I wasn't going to be Rosalind Russell and um, and that was because George Cukor said, no, the really the great leading lady in the 30s was Ina Clare. And he oh. adored her, and he had a wonderful portrait of her oh. in his living room in Hollywood. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> that's the name. No hair. <laughs> just a, yes, that's Mame, you know. Mm. And uh, away we went. Yeah. And it was a, a dreamy experience. But, uh, as I say, and today, everybody's minding their P's and Q's and just getting on with it and putting on great shows. The musicals are very original and they're quite, quite, quite different from the days when I was doing musicals. If there was one piece of advice you wish you'd been given when you were getting into this, or is there a piece of advice that you think someone getting into this now you should give after all of your experience? I just want to ask you each in turn, what would be that, that pearl of wisdom you would you think young people should know getting into this career? Uh, follow your instinct. I surprise myself constantly, even in creating a role. I always go back to what the first primal impulse when I read it or thought about it was. And then you sort of play a, a mental conundrum, oh, I better not do the cheap and easy way out. You know, this is the first thing I thought of. I'll work laboriously through a lot of research and do things, do you know what I mean, to find your way back. Um, I wish I'd had a mentor. I never had an older person in the theater to, have a, to be a mentor, and I would have loved that relationship. I think it's valuable to see yourself as a part of a big thing, and so uh, I tell young actors often, one of the great things you can do is be a reader in auditions, because we haven't spoken about auditions. Oh. They're too painful, perhaps, <laughs> to, uh, to have come up. But um, be on the other side of the table and watch how actors come into the room and yeah. sabotage themselves or win or lose in the, in the first yeah, lesson. Yes, yes. It's like being in an audience. It's so illuminating to see what our craft is by looking at it someplace else. Yeah. I would say, from my, the, you know, the thing I wish I had done differently is don't sell yourself short. Do you know? I think that we, we actors, you know, volley back and forth between tremendous confidence and tremendous insecurity. And I would say, there were times in my life when I was insecure and I thought, oh, I couldn't, I couldn't get that part. That would be too whatever, you know, fill in the blank. And I think I would be a little more 
cocksure now, and I would just sort of say, what I, what do I have to lose by trying my hardest to get that mm. part? And you know, that's what I would say. Don't, don't sell yourself short. I truly find it extremely difficult to give advice, to be a mentor. I would have to hear a child, a young person, read a scene to know whether or not they had any idea about character or who they were portraying, to know whether or not they had it. Mm. I think you have to find somebody, a mentor, to tell you. Mm. And uh, I, I could do that, yes. I've never done it, but I could, yes. And perhaps I will in my dotage, and uh, we'll do it with pleasure. But uh, truthfully, I don't know how to tell a kid how to even to get started, except to read, to listen, to learn, to watch, to absorb, and to think about themselves uh, playing, uh, being somebody else other than themselves. Well, um, let me say, <clears throat> as one of those kids who has watched and enjoyed and read and learned from all of you, thank you for being with us today. I said at the beginning, it was an honor. It has been a joy. And thank you for joining us. These programs are brought to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York in partnership with our friends at CUNY TV. On behalf of the American Theatre Wing, I'm Howard Sherman, and thanks for joining us for another edition of Working in the Theater. I'm Ted Chapin, Chairman of the American Theatre Wing. The Wing has played a vital role in New York's theatrical life for more than 60 years. Best known for creating the Tony Awards, we stand for excellence, but we also support education in the theater, and our work reaches beyond Broadway in New York. The Working in the Theater television programs, which are supported by the Annenberg Foundation and the Dorothy Strelson Foundation, are unequaled forums for discussions with today's most creative artists. Downstage Center's in-depth radio interviews were created in conjunction with XM Satellite Radio and can be heard on our website. Our annual theater company grants support New York not-for-profits, and since they began, have distributed nearly $3 million. We are also pleased to be the home of the Jonathan Larson grants, which support emerging composers and lyricists. For people who are starting their careers, we have a two-week boot camp for aspiring actors from colleges across the country called Springboard NYC. And our theater intern group provides a forum for young people who are starting their careers to build a professional network. All of the American Theatre Wing's educational and media programs are available for free on demand from our website, americantheaterwing.org.